Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Random McBerrato. Well, it's your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. Well, the only one in the room so far, Peggy Lopez. You are first. We're four people on YouTube and growing. And let's see, Twitch, we got that all together. Yeah, you must be early. You must be early. Where's everybody? Anyway, we're going to have a great show for you today, folks. We are going to get busy and start getting things rolling. What are we going to talk about today? Before we go ahead and talk about anything today, I need to make sure and clear these areas to make sure that all things are working fine. So I'm checking Paul Fleming from ATL checking in. Bruce Pollard says, I be here. Bruce, let me know like right away. How are you doing, Senor Bruce? I want to know the condition of your health like right now. You know, we take care of our posse. So let us know how you're doing right now, my dear friend. Anyway, we're going to have a great show for you today. We're going to, of course, continue the, the, the uh, interview with, um, with Marlon Weems, which accidentally got cut off yesterday. So we're going to start it from scratch. We only got a piece of it done. He's a, a very a hell of a writer, putting a book together, all that good stuff. So we are going to get that done today. And then there is the, 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 the author or the director of the Civil War, the director of the, um, the program called Civil War. I want you to hear what she has to say and what a couple of teachers have to say. I mean, you know, the CRT is this whole rage right now that doesn't really need to be. I mean, the truth of the matter is CRT is something that should be taught. But I am not, in, I'm not sitting down there telling people, hey, go teach critical race theory, all that kind of stuff in high school, elementary school or anything like that. It's actually taught in college. So we, 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 I'm, I'm going to kind of expand on that a little bit. Bruce Pollard says, fatigue but getting better going for a PCR tomorrow and keep me abreast of it. And uh, it'd be interesting to know if you got the earlier version, whether you got, uh, what is it, Comicrom? Uh, oh man, how can I forget the name of, no, no, not Delta. There's Delta and the new one is called Omicron. Yeah, so let's see which, which one you have. I hope they're able to tell you that uh, pretty much so or not. Anyhow, folks, uh, let's go ahead and continue with this. Welcome aboard my coffee party domain. You're here. Yvette Avery Herod, welcome. Our, our uh, union activist, thank you for being here. Please, folks, remember to share Delta I had. Oh, you had the Delta. Yeah, the Delta. You know, it's, it's funny because now they're saying Omicron may be actually not as bad as Delta, though it spreads a lot faster, but it's not as bad. Folks, if you're just joining us, please remember to share us on Facebook, share us on Twitter, share us on Twitch, share us on YouTube. Well, how do you share YouTube? You just share it on Twitch or Twitter, or rather on Twitter, and put it on your Facebook channel, etc., etc., etc. Paul Fleming on YouTube says, I'm also checking in on YouTube, Egberto. So anyhow, let's go ahead and get started. I'm going to go ahead and do the interview. And after the interview, uh, we'll go into whatever you guys want to talk about including that, that, that little interview that I have here. So let's go ahead and let me cue this baby up and get busy. So, and this time I will stay away from the keyboard to make sure I make no mistakes on brother Marlon Weems. So here we go. Have Marlon. Tom C. from Michigan checking in. Hey, what's wrong with your governor? Now not supporting a, a mandate even though we know that that's probably going to be the only solution. Tom C., talk to her. What's her name, Wormer? Uh, talk to her, talk to her. Anyhow, let's get busy.
Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Random, Egberto Willis, Marlon Weems, a.k.a. The Journeyman, a man who spent 30 years in finance, 10 of them, where? On Wall Street, here on Politics Done Right. Yeah. Global <laughs> investment banks subsequently hired him to help them decipher development in the financial and socioeconomic landscape. Marlon points out that mainstream news rarely drills down enough to give a true picture of what's happening, let alone what it all means. And henceforth, the writer, he created The Journeyman. Welcome to Politics Done Right, Marlon Wimps. Thank you so kindly for being here with us. Thanks, uh, thanks so much for having me, Egberto. Well, let me tell you, I met you in Woke, um, uh, writers and editors of color, and I could not have been more happy to find someone of your caliber there. I read some of your work at the journeyman on that you carry on Substack and on, on Medium. And all I can tell you is we need to get your work out, especially <laughs> since you are uh, you were in the belly of what capitalism is all about. And while you're probably not as like I am, you've been... <laughs> You know exactly what's going on in America. Welcome to Politics and Rights. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, as you said, um, I um, spent 30 years uh, in, in finance. I started out actually in the Deep South uh, in Arkansas, which is home, and um, um, worked at one of the largest investment banks off Wall Street for about 10 years. And then uh, left there and started my own firm, which uh, was the first Black-owned investment firm in Arkansas. Uh, and, you know, that's probably a subject for another <laughs> for another interview, because, uh, as you can imagine, um, I was not welcomed with open arms. But uh, five years later, uh, I shut the business down and took the opportunity to, to move to Wall Street and uh, spent the next 13 years there, um, uh, ultimately running a program trading desk for one of the premier Black-owned firms uh, in New York. And um, as, you, as you put it, I was uh, definitely in the belly of the beast, uh, certainly not at the, um, uh, the highest level in that I wasn't at a Goldman or uh, J.P. Morgan, but um, to some extent, if you're in that game, you're in the game regardless. And uh, I did business with a lot of the uh, familiar names and everything from uh, program trading to running um, uh, share repurchase programs for guys like Walmart and Microsoft and, and the like. And, um, you know, sometimes uh, I, I liken it to when uh, you you have a guy in the NFL, a running back, and that's in a sense where uh, the name of my newsletter, The Journeyman, comes from. And you know, in that I had been one of those uh, you know one of those players that had uh, had been in a lot of aspects, but never quite the Tom Brady, but still uh, in you know in the game. Consequential, uh, exactly. And so um you know wall street made the decision for a lot of us during the financial crisis and at that point uh, i had started to have some um uh, you know just reconsideration about my career and the value of uh, uh being on a trading desk all day and you know their lifestyle or not lifestyle but quality 
of life uh, considerations. You know, I never saw my kids. And so we decided to move to North Carolina and just kind of reboot. And uh, that's where I started uh, my writing career as a consultant for a, uh, a capital markets firm that uh, did work for, you know, the big bulge bracket firms, uh, you know, messaging and that sort of thing. And, uh, it, you know, it, it paid well, um, but, you know, the life of a freelancer, as you probably know, you're always waiting to get paid. And so I felt like to an extent, I was trading one master for another. And, um, you know, post-2016, uh, I think my family got tired of me uh, shouting at the television <laughs> all the time. And they were like, you know, why don't you write some of this stuff down that you're saying? And so uh, a couple of years ago, I started a newsletter and, and here we are. Well, you know, and, and, and America is glad to have a newsletter of, of your caliber, my friend, because like I, like I said, there are so many good writers out there that uh, whose messages get, uh, get clouded or, or, or get clouded out by what we have coming out only in the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or the, the, the Post or whatever, good writing people that understand exactly what's going on in our society, people that live within the different parts of our society that simply go unheard. One of the things that we like to do here is to make sure uh, to keep our motto going, and that is absolutely everybody has a voice, and your voice is one that needs to be heard. I've, I've read some of your stuff. I've noticed that you've You've talked a lot about or, or recently about inflation and, um, and, and how it really affects differently different people. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Because what happens in, is we hear the buzzwords, but we don't really tell the whole story. Well, a couple of things. I mean, I started in, uh, in finance in 1983. So, uh, you know, my, uh, I don't quite have the visceral response to what's going on now, given that when I started, uh, I remember one of my aunts was buying CDs at 13.5%. So, um, you know, with interest rates really just being, you know, at zero, um, if they go, uh, you know, if, if mortgage rates go up, you know, it's, it seems to me to be kind of an adjustment uh, to the mean to some extent. Um, but at the same time, uh, let's face it, uh, $4 um, a gallon gasoline affects me and you and people that aren't even as fortunate as you and I. A uh, hell of a lot more than it's going to affect Elon Musk, right? He's probably not even going to notice. So um, I think uh, you know, that's certainly something that I think about, um, notwithstanding the fact that there's very little the president can do about it, uh, because these are unregulated markets. Um, I, uh, I have read, and, and it's something I've thought about uh, drilling into a little bit. Uh, you know, you look at Saudi Arabia and OPEC, and they're really keeping these prices uh, high. And, you know, there's some people that say it's in anticipation of uh, them losing market share as uh, electric vehicles become more prevalent. So, uh, you know, that's, that's certainly something to think about. Um, uh, you know, so, so um, I, I'm sorry, I don't know if that answers your no, question. No, no, but, but I, actually, I, you I brought up a, an important point that mm -hmm. I want you, uh, that I'd like, like some, uh, some, some additional info on, because what I've been preaching, and I don't, uh, recently is that 
first of all, inflation can only occur if uh, somebody has price and power. And there are some people who will never have price and power. And there are those who Absolutely. will have price and power. And you just gave a, a, an excellent example as far as uh, Saudi Arabia. Inflation occurs when there are shortages of either labor, shortages of products, mm -hmm. shortages of services. And the truth is, when it comes to petroleum, there's none of that. Uh, it's a false shortage. Well, you, they're creating it. By, right. By with well, explain supply. that concept, because uh, if we were a true market, I always talk about the mythical market. If we were a true market, <laughs> that couldn't happen, could it? Well, you know, theoretically, uh, no, because, uh, you know, markets would just, uh, the supply would find the demand and it would be sort of a natural thing. Uh, as as you said, um, what the Saudi Arabians and, and OPEC, you know, sort of writ large are doing is they're controlling the supply to make the prices, um, uh, you know, sort of making prices high, um, you know, not uh, in a natural way. Uh, and, and it's not just them, because if you look um, at a variety of different companies, so, you know, you see uh, Chipotle and different ones raising their prices, they don't have to raise prices, but they see the opportunity to do that. And that's, you know, back to what you say about capitalism and why uh, I consider myself, let's say, a reform capitalist uh, in the sense that I can remember the day when I would be saying that that's a good thing. But now that I've stepped away from that bubble and you see how it affects, you know, just real life, um, you know, not so much. So um, a lot of these prices that we're seeing on beef and my brother actually called me yesterday. Uh, we were talking on the phone and he went. He was on his way to get a Subway sandwich. And, and he calls me back five minutes later. And he says, man, I just walked out of Subway. And I'm like, well, what I'm thinking, you know, a fight broke out or something like that. He said, man, they tried to charge me $15 for some sort of beef sandwich, you know, barbecue something. $15 for a Subway sandwich? I said, heck, man, you could go buy a steak, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, right? I mean, it, it is a, let's, let me tell you more. It, it, it's amazing because I, I tell you something that everybody should be cognizant of. You, know, you remember this thing called the dollar store, right? Oh. Well, the dollar yes, store do. decided that, uh, well, a dollar is too, mm. too little now. And we are going to, and, and right. they claim that they're losing, uh, losing by having the dollar store. So they said their prices is going to range on their way to $1.25. You would think if it were that. <laughs> if it were on par, that the stock maybe gained a little bit for whatever little losses they had, which wasn't really much. You know, the pandemic was really causal, but the stock soared because they knew at one twenty-five oh, yeah. they were suckering the people who were used to a. They were they were you know what they don't tell you is going from one dollar to one twenty-five is a twenty-five percent inflation rate in that store. <laughs> Look, it's, um, you, you know, you see it everywhere. And this is, I guess, sort of the, um, the, the, I hesitate to use this, but it's sort of the rigged game of capitalism. Stop, you please know? stop. It, please stop, sir. Please stop. I know you're uh, a capitalist, sir, but you are absolutely right. So please repeat <laughs> those words again, please. No, it, I mean, it is, it is a rigged game in the sense that um, the, it's not always causality why some things happen. And so uh, just because 
the price of a Subway sandwich is $15, it's more because Subway has that pricing power and they know the market will, will withstand it. Uh, it's more related to that than it is that their costs went up incrementally and that's what they have to charge. So, you know, we should just know that. And, and of course, as, as citizens, our choice is like my brother to just walk out of Subway. We don't have to have that sandwich. And, you know, theoretically that demand goes down and they come to their senses and maybe it's a $14 sandwich instead of a, instead of a $15 sandwich, right? Yes, sir. I, I tell you what, though, um, I, 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 you just gave me the, the segue into saying, and that is where I think the capitalist market should be bifurcated from the social market. And what I mean by that is you just said something yeah. that is extraordinarily smart, right? That is, well, uh, we believe in, if we believe in a market system, like your brother walked out of the store when something costs $15, that would, that would necessitate them reducing their price if they ever want to sell it again. But if your brother broke his leg and the hospital told him they wanted to charge him whatever they could get out of him, he had no choice then. And that, that right. should be where we separate the social markets, the, the social aspect of our economy, in my opinion, at least, from the capitalist portion of our market. Your thoughts on that? Um, well. So, so I've been at um, this long enough that I recall when uh, the first, in fact, the first job I had was at a, um, a little investment firm that only sold mortgage-backed securities. Oh, if boy. you're familiar, you, yes, you know, the, the default story, swaps, right? I mean, et cetera, yeah. Uh, well, even, even more uh, primary than that, because we're talking early 80s, so they early really 80s, gotcha. had just, yeah, they had really just sort of come along, there weren't that many people in the marketplace, which was there. Uh, again, you talked about pricing power. Um, we knew that investors had no idea what these things were worth. So if you own them, you said what they were worth and either people paid that or they, you know, there was no trade. And so um, all that to say, um, what we've done um, is we have financialized so many, <clears throat> pardon me, so many things that, that really should be, I guess, utilities. Exactly. Right? So we have financialized the internet and technology to you know, a large extent. And I'm sure there are economists out there that would jump all over me for saying this, but you know, should uh, healthcare really be financialized, right? No. Um, should um, uh, you know, it, our electricity and just things that we need really be something that, uh, you know, are looking at the stock market instead of looking at, so let me just uh, say it this way. Um, people are focused on shareholders and rather than stakeholders. Right. You see? And so that's where the problem starts. And, and you can just look at the housing crisis uh, that happened, you know, several years ago as an example of that way of thinking gone wrong, you know, where people aren't really thinking about, uh, you know, when I do these credit default swaps, down at the bottom of that is somebody losing a house, maybe, right. you know, nobody's thinking about that. Well, you know, um, let, let me just tell you, um, Mr. Weems, it is uh, having writers like you making people aware is what it's going to take. All of us doing our part, because we know that 
the mainstream media and all these other organizations. They're, these are not bad people. All those great people working for MSNBC, even some at Fox News, good reporters, some of them, mm -hmm. uh, they, they are stuck between a wall and a hard place because of who pays them and what they must be paid. So we understand why we must have the journeyman at Medium, why we must have the journeyman at Substack, why we must have you all over because the work that you do, what you teach folk that they don't know right now is important. So I'm going to ask you two last questions. One, tell me a little bit about what you're writing about going forward. And two, I'm, I usually don't tell, ask the person to tell me this the last, never give them a heads up. I'm going to give you a heads up, man. What would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? But answer the first one first. What do you so, have going on? So the right first now? one, um, the, the story that I'm working on currently, uh, and this actually might um, be something that gets picked up by one of the, um, you know, a, a mainstream publication. Mm -hmm. um, I live in uh, North Carolina on a tiny little island. Mm -hmm. And um, when we moved here, of course, I knew I was uh, leaving one of the most diverse places in the world, coming to a place where, um, let's just say, I see more Confederate flags than I've seen in a long time. Mm -hmm. um, but what I didn't expect was, uh, was this. My kids, uh, one, one has just finished high school and is now in college. The other one is still in high school. Uh, the county that um, that high school is in is about 13 or 14 percent black, but somehow their high school is three percent black. So in effect, it may as well be a white school. Right. And so I'm writing about um, uh, sort of the experience of where, as parents, we had to pick up the ball and teach our kids, and it kind of. Uh, in a sense, plays into the discussion around CRT and the 1619 Project in that uh, there's so much knowledge that for me was just things you know that my kids, they weren't even hearing these things. And, right. and then on top of that, uh, you know, missed opportunities. Uh, you know, my daughter was in theater. Uh, there was very little opportunity for her to play certain parts because you know, if it's Romeo and Juliet, she ain't going to be Juliet, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so that's, that's, um, that's kind of something that I'm working on now. Hopefully uh, sometime this month, uh, I'll be able to publish it. And what would you have liked me? Your video is kind of frozen now, but oh, it's back. <clears throat> oh, there we what are. We're you, back. Yeah, we're back. What would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? Um, I would have uh, liked you to ask me about the book that I'm working on. <laughs> well, let, let me. But you let, wouldn't let have known pause. about that, so that's let not really pause. fair. That's my ignorance. I didn't realize. No, I, I know that was kind of a trick. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, um, something that has been, I guess, sort of a long time coming, and I'm working on a manuscript. I've gotten far enough along with it that I'm. Um, you know, going to start looking for literary agents and, you know, going through that whole process. And it's really, um, you know, there are a lot of books by people that have been on Wall Street, but I think mine will be different because uh, it's not really a rags to, you know, like obscene riches kind of a story, which most of those books are. It's really uh, sort of a cautionary 
tale about, you know, me, a guy from the deep south, getting sucked up into the, you know, that that race, uh, if you will, in the 80s and just, uh, you know, the um, uh, desire for obscene wealth and then ended up on Wall Street and then reevaluating. So uh, that's something that, you know, knock on wood, uh, in the next uh, several months, I'll, I'll be able to, um, you know, to finish up and, and get it out there. Former, former full-time capitalist on Wall Street, now the dirty man, <laughs> author of many great articles to inform us all, and soon to be author of a book we'll all want to read. Thank you so kindly, Marlon Weems, for being... Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, my friend. Thank you for being on Politics and Right. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed that. I, I, I wanted to get it out in full because he had a whole lot to say. I want to, I want to show you, when I talk about the media misinforming and specifically the right making its people less smart than they should be, uh, let's go ahead and bring Brother Eric Hayes into account. New York and California are not the example we want to replicate all things and stances on crime. And he puts crime first. I want you guys to understand something, right? The, the media allows the right to lie to their people, to give them false impressions, to give them the belief that things are the way they aren't. You hear New York, you hear California, you hear Washington State. And you think, oh, these places have high crime rates. You want to hear the truth, people? And here are the numbers. Like I tell people all the time, don't just invent stuff. Let's hear the numbers. And what you're seeing on the screen right now, what you see on the screen right now tells a tall, important story. Look at those states that have the highest crime rates, okay? I just, and the reason, I'm, the reason I'm stopping and I'm putting this and making an issue out of this is because here are numbers that we can just come and put on the table that you can see right away that what Eric has learned from right-wing media is really just lie, and in that lie, don't solve the problems where they really are. Let's look at the states that have the worst crime rates. Alaska, well, D.C., of course, is not a state. It has the worst of all, and we, we understand some of those issues. But let's forget about D.C. for now, because a close second is Alaska, followed by New Mexico, Tennessee, Arkansas, Louisiana, South Carolina, Alabama, Missouri, Nevada, Arizona, Maryland, California, Michigan, Oklahoma, Delaware, Texas. Those are the first uh, Texas, Kansas, and Illinois. The preponderance of the preponderance, folks, of where you are seeing crime. Let's see about 20. Alaska red, New Mexico red, Tennessee red, Arkansas red, Louisiana red, South Carolina red, Alabama red, Missouri red, Nevada red. Oh no, Nevada not red. Arizona red, Maryland. No, uh, Maryland, not California, Michigan, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Texas. What does that tell you, folks? Trying to equate crime rates by state 
is silly. What you want to do is solve problems. And crime rates occur in packets. You know, some of you were given AOC uh, a hell because AOC said, you know, they're overblowing the, 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 the dragon sack or dragon, whatever that, that thing is. And, and, you know, unfortunately, it is exactly what Republicans do to try to make a point. Oh, look at what's happening now. These thugs are going into Neiman Marcus and all these things, breaking the glass and taking up this sack and drag and leave. And it's an epidemic. Um, America is a big place. You heard of this happening in, 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 uh, in Hollywood. You heard of this happening in Sacramento, I mean, in, uh, in, in San Francisco. You heard of it happening in D.C. And, or not D.C. You heard of it happening in a few places in New York. This is a humongous country. If we look at the rise in crime, in, in, in rapes, the rise in crime in men beating their wives and all these things, they have increased marginally more than thefts in stores right but somehow we are going to and, and that's what AOC really is talking about right let's not glorify and have a new narrative that we allow the right to put out oh look at the new uh, Biden is in power and they're están saqueando los almacenes they are they're raping the stores because Biden is in power like if the crime rate has not been going up since the beginning or the inception of Donald Trump and others, and I'm not saying Donald Trump is solely responsible for the crime rate, but th there are a lot of factors involved in the crime rate. A lot of factors. Okay? But for th when AOC says, no, that's made up, you know what she means? It's made up because crime rate overall has increased. Crime rate with guns? But you don't want to talk about the crime rate with guns, right? Because suddenly if we talk about the crime rate with guns, we may see that guns cause crime. We may see that those people that are saqueando those almacenes, those people that are shopping and grabbing, are going in with guns. And guns are an easy thing to get in America. So if you want to put blame, let's maybe blame those people who facilitate guns. Okay? So, take a look at the list. Seems to me that Alaska... A lot of people get killed in Alaska, Tennessee, Arkansas, Louisiana, South Carolina, Alabama, Missouri. Um, what happened, guys? Even Maryland, even though it's supposed to be a blue state, the governor is, is, a, is a Republican. You want to blame them? Oklahoma. Come on, people. I'm not going to blame Republican governors for having bad crime rates. What I'm going to blame them for is not accepting their Medicaid expansion to the Affordable Care because what they're doing is worse than the people saqueando those almacenes. Worse than the people shoplifting. Those governors that refuse the Medicaid expansion to the Affordable Care Act are criminally, are criminals. They're murderers. They're killing their people. That is, if we want to concentrate on issues that matter, that is what we should be talking about. So, uh, Eric Hayes, when you, if you're going to put silly things on, expect to be fact-checked with data, real data, here at Politics Done Right. And there is your data. The criminal states at the top, if you take a look, are mostly red states. Do I blame those red states for their criminality? No. I blame that those states are poor. Those states are not, not only poor, but they have a, 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 
they have government that don't take care of the people and the people you know it just create the degeneracy that you have in the place so let's be real and let's understand the true concept uh, Tom C had an important answer for El Senor um, well well let, let me go ahead and say first of all welcome aboard uh, Tom C Sarah Beathies from Temple Texas is here Daniel Edo is here, Eric Hayes is here, and Roberto Luis, mi panameño favorito. ¿Cómo estás, hermano? Bienvenido a Politics Done Right. Claire Parker says, VOI.FYI. What is VOI? Maybe I'm not thinking fast enough. Puffin says, AOC24. Will she be 30 then? Courtney SLP says, Tell the truth, Egberto. And uh, you know I, I have to, Courtney. You know, you know you're my girl. We got to tell the truth. And then, of course, we have Courtney, the SLP, says crime is a direct result of poverty. Perfecto mundo. Marlon Weems. Hey, Marlon, uh, today your piece got played effectively without a hitch. And tomorrow you go national on KPFT 90.1 FM and likely on the Pacifica Network, sir. I mean, uh, love your work, Marlon. I love your work. Courtney, the SLP, change policy and crime will go down. Have a humane society and people will behave humanely. You know, I mean, you remember that, that, that uh, principle in Pittsburgh or one of those, those towns in Pennsylvania? They had those high schools set up with cages. It looked like you're going into a cage when you're going into the high school. And you know what? The people acted accordingly. Then came Batman. That's what they called the new, the new principal with a bat. And he went into that school and he said, tear down these bars. Tear down these jails. We're going to treat these kids the way they must be treated, like human beings. And those hardcore thugs were taken care of without the ability to really hurt the real people. And the transition that that school made in that small amount of time because he remembered one thing called humanity made a difference. So my brothers and sisters, understand that. Don't be fooled by what the right's saying. Uh, uh, you know, they, they, are, they, are, they don't only manufacture lie. They manufacture the raw materials for lies. Let's remember that. It, it, it is amazing because, again, the, uh, it, it's so hard swatting everything down, which is why I say we don't worry. I ignore much of it. And what we do is we push our message as far as what we want to do for Americans, what we want to do for the body politic, how we want to make things better. So no whataboutism. Let's forget about the whataboutism. Let's just do what we need to get done. I think Daniel Ledo says, uh, uh, he, he said something that I think was answered by Brother um, Tom C. I, I want to find it because uh, it, was, it was rather important. He, he had something to say about what we... Uh, I think the difference between leftists and conservatives is that leftists engage in politics to feel better about themselves. Conservatives engage in politics to feel better about the future. What is the future about conservatives? What future policy do conservatives have right now that is going to make lives better for the average American citizen? As a progressive, as a leftist, I'll tell you what I want to do to solve 
the problem of the average American citizen. Number one, I want to make sure that every mother and father who wants to work, if they cannot afford daycare, that daycare is subsidized so that daycare is not a limiting factor for them getting a good job or going to school or anything else. Numero uno. Numero dos. I want anybody who wants to get a higher education, the ability to get a higher education at the cost of the state. Why? Because ultimately speaking, that's an investment in the intellect of the state and will ensure that we get companies who believe your state is an educated state and move there. In the case of Texas, right, what we do is we have... We only do one half of the equation, right? We make sure that it is lucrative for, for companies to come here. And what do you think these companies do? Do they really fix the, the, the people who need an education in the state? No, they don't want to pay for it. Texas has already done it, man. They give us all these breaks. And we bring in the, 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 the intellect from Delaware and the intellect from New York and California and Arizona. All those places that invested in their people. We bring them into Texas. So Texas population increase with people that were educated elsewhere. Now we have the University of Texas ranked number, I think it's ranked number nine in the, in the country. But that only talks about having 50,000 people at any given time. So you need a hell of a lot more than that, right? So... And by the way, and, and, and those kids who get out of the University of Texas or all these universities get out with a hell of a lot of debt. So understand, I'm explaining to you what, what leftists want to do. We also want to make sure that people have a basic income, right? In other words, if you work 40 hours a week and you don't make enough to survive, should you be subsidized? Because that means there is a flaw in that economic system that says... I work a full job and can't get paid enough because, right? And we don't want to tell a little businessman that you have to pay a living wage. Well, if you don't want to tell a living bi the, the, the businessman he, want, he needs to pay a living wage, which pretty much means he has a hobby, then the state, who doesn't want to ensure that, likely should do what again? Have a basic income based on needs on people who want to go out there and work. This is not to create slough-offs or create people who don't want to work. I don't know about you, but most of the people I do know want to work. And we start ensuring that people are educated into what makes a good American citizen, which includes working, either for yourself or for a corporation, company, or whatever. So that is another thing we want to do. Another thing we want to do as leftists, we want... Healthcare for everybody, Medicare for all. We want to make sure that's taken care of. We want to make sure when you retire, you don't retire in poverty. You don't have to worry about uh, Medicare Part A, B, C, D. If I get A, if I get C, I don't qualify for B until later on. I can't get supply. It's crap designed to rip us off. That's all that complexity is there for. It's the only reason. For that complexity. Minda Juliana says, Yes, poverty is a problem. It is a big part of why my husband left Guatemala. Exactly. So, 
We have to understand these concepts. So I have enumerated just a few things that leftists want to do. And then the next question is, well, how do we pay for it? The money is there, my people. When you have the wealth disparity and the income disparity we have in this country, it is designed within the country to have this disparity. Okay? Remember, capitalism, the way it functions today, is nothing more than antiseptic slavery. The slave had to be clothed. The slave had to be fed. The slave had to be kept healthy. The slave had to be productive. And the master had to, that was a cost to the master. They discovered a new form of slavery. Wait a minute. We can go ahead and hire everybody instead of owning some. And when we hire them, when they cannot work, we throw them away. We don't have to feed them. We don't have to clothe them. We don't have to do any of that. But our income... Our wealth is determined on what's known as their excess labor. And our profits is not shared or not shared with them. Um, wait a minute. If you make something and that profit is not shared with you, what is it again? The only difference here is you ain't got the whip. You don't have the you don't have the legalized form of whipping you, cutting you, or any of that anymore. But my God, it's a hell of a lot more efficient than slavery. It's so much more efficient than slavery. But we are not taught that, and you are not taught that in business school. And you know why you're not taught that in business school? Because when you sit down and think about it, you might say, oh my God, we really should be thinking about collectives. Oh my God, we really should be thinking about company, uh, uh, employee-owned companies. You want to see productivity go through the roof? Work for yourself. And you know, this is something that Republicans know, right? Because conservatives are the ones who, who wanted to implement government housing that eventually the people owned. Innis, great black Republican, he had that concept. He said, let's go ahead and make sure that these people who are in these government buildings, make them condos or whatever you want to call them, let them own it. Because when people have a stake, when they're stakeholders in something, they fight for it, they keep it, etc. And they learn these things in school. Wow, it's 4.47 and I am still talking. I need to go ahead and remind folks. Please, folks, please, 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 por favor. If you are on YouTube right now, please go ahead and click that join button and support what we do here, which is to... Mutually educate. Mutually do what's important for us to learn together, for us to teach, for us to make sure that the right doesn't enslave the minds as they are enslaving the minds of so many right now. That's our goal, geometric progression in education. So help us, please. Please click that join button to become a part of our posse. Uh, please go ahead and... Uh, uh, let's see here. Go ahead and support us at politicsandright.com slash YouTube. Politicsandright.com slash YouTube is if you're not on YouTube and can't hit that join button, you can still click it there and get there. Alternatively, you can support us at Patreon. Politicsandright.com slash Patreon. 
politicsandright.com says patron. Patron is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And we still love PayPal, the, the product, not necessarily the ownership, but the product. So support us at politicsandright.com slash PayPal. politicsandright.com slash PayPal. Our books, three books that will illustrate much of what we talk about day in and day out. If there, whenever I'm repeti- repeti- repetitious, please remember that people come and go throughout the day on the program. We get new people every single day, a lot of new people every day, not only for the pro- live program, but for podcasts on Anchor for or podcasts on iTunes, uh, Spotify, and everywhere else. So much we have to have a certain degree of repetition to put the message out. So help us continue to do that. But anyway, a lot of this is discussed in our books, politicsandright.com slash books, politicsandright.com slash book. How, uh, as I see it, class warfare, the only resort to right-wing do my first book, was done during, during one of our crises. Second book, how to talk to your right-wing, or rather, it's worth it, how to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors. It's important that we are able to have a dialogue with everybody. Third book is How to Make America Utopia. You know, after you go through all, after you've, you've learned to talk to your right-wing friends and neighbors and your friends and they respect you, and after you really know about the economy, etc., from, a, as I see a class warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom, the next thing then is to transform the country. And how we do that, it's an ongoing project, and that I, we start that project, with, as far as the politics and right domain, with our book, How to Make America Utopia, take away from the system from those who rigged it. So please go ahead, go to politicsandright.com slash books, politicsandright.com slash books, and pick that up. The, the, actually, it, it's interesting because our highest rated book right now is, um, it's worth it, How to Make America Utopia, I mean, I'm sorry, it's worth it, uh, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors. It makes a good gift. Get a whole bunch of those books and give it to your right-wing friends They'll like it and let them know that they'll have a, a seat at the PDR Posse table. We want to talk to all these folks. We want to talk to all these people. And of course, there is our store where you can get our hoodies and all that good stuff. Politicsandright.com slash store. Politicsandright.com slash store. And if you want to catch all for all the different places where you can, how, the different forms in which you can support Politics and Right, go to politicsandright.com slash support politicsandright.com so support look folks put in definitely minimum 16 hours a day making sure that we get this stuff right making sure we get this stuff right I'm going to leave the AA thing um, for tomorrow because we only have 9 minutes left and what I'm going to do is if you guys have some other things you want to talk because I don't really have time to go through that subject in detail that I'd like to Eric Hayes says even your favorite AOC is out of touch and thank goodness she is on a second year two-year term. Uh, First of all, the Washington Times is one of the most disregarded rags in the country. It's not a reliable rag, the Washington Times, that is. Um, But again, I suggest you understand crime. I think, uh, uh, you know, we we can take the horse to water, but we can't force the horse to drink it. Okay, that's it. Can't force you to drink it. If you want to be fooled by those who would let you be scared of what's going on with those drag and ra- those kind of crimes, and forget about the AKAR 15 crimes, and forget about the women beating, and this is not whataboutism. 
This is about saying, let's keep the picture where it belongs. And I have a, I, I have a call out to Democrats. Uh, Democrats can't let Republicans, uh, right-wing Republicans, dictate the agenda. You cannot. You cannot allow right-wing Republicans to dictate the agenda. You cannot. And they, they will take you down rabbit holes. What about this? What about that? No, forget that. Dictate the agenda. You tell Americans what you are going to do for them. You go out there and you tell Americans, we want to provide family leave. Republicans do not. We want to provide basic income. Somebody who works a full-time job should not live in poverty. Republicans want you to remain in poverty and work like a slave. We want your kids taken care of because we believe in the family. We believe in taking care. They don't. They believe in taking away your right. They want you simply as an incubator. And if you doubt it, remember foundationally the person who created the movement. And I played it yesterday, and I think it's apropos to do it here again. Because it's, I call it the apology confession from the person who started it. So let's go ahead and play that because sometimes people need to remember the truth. The other one I want to show you is the genesis of the right-wing movement and the apology on the same. Check this out because this guy was part of the movement. He was part of the creation of the right-wing. And what he feels now is that we unleashed something that is destroying this country. It is destroying women. It is doing all that is wrong. Check this out, and then from Schaefer, and then we'll take it on the other side. It's always good to say, I am sorry. GOP is rife with hypocrisy. But one of the more stunning examples is their so-called pro-life stance. While women and children are literally dying of COVID in red states, that's because the anti-abortion movement was never about life. But yet another rallying cry churned up by the fake outrage machine to win elections. Joining me now is Frank Schaefer, director and author of several books, including Why I Am an Atheist Who Believes in God. Frank, it's always great to talk with you. You know, you were around at the beginning of the creation of this, this what's now called the pro-life movement. But, I mean, it really wasn't about abortion. Well, sadly, it happened in large measure because of the work that my father and I and Dr. Sievert Koop, who became Surgeon General for Ronald Reagan, did in bringing a film series that I wrote and directed based on a book that Sievert Koop and dad wrote called Whatever Happened to the Human Race to millions and millions of evangelicals. Now, what will surprise you and many viewers is to understand that when we took that series out, Many evangelicals were pro-choice. In fact, Dr. Reverend Billy Graham, the great evangelist, Dr. Criswall, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, these men refused to participate in our seminars when they had been avid followers of my dad and our work before that. And I was dad's nepotistic sidekick. Now, introducing me tonight, you mentioned a book, Why I'm an Atheist Who Believes in God. But after that came out, I've spent the last six years writing an apology to women and families in America that we damaged, uh, called Fall in Love, Have Children, Stay Put, Save the Planet, Be Happy. And the reason I have done that 
is that my family unleashed the rabid religious right on women when, in fact, evangelicals were evenly divided and even a little bit pro-choice. So one of the lies the religious right tells and one of the lies the Republican Party tells is somehow that part of evangelical theology, the theology of people like Reverend Billy Graham, Dr. Criswell, the editors of Christianity Today magazine, who also in those days were pro-choice, has always been like the Catholic Church on this issue. It has not been. So the first lie is evangelicals, as I point out in my book, Fall in Love, Have Children, was that evangelicals somehow were pro-life. They weren't. They were like other Americans, many shocked by women having to go to back alley abortions. A lot of people like Dr. Graham, for instance, who told me I was in the meeting with him at the Mayo Clinic with my dad. And we met in, in Billy's room where he was undergoing a checkup. And Billy said, I can't preach to women and tell them what to do about this. Men don't get pregnant. How dare I do that? So he was reasonable on it. So the first lie, uh, Joy, is that we come from a place where we have acted as if this is part of Christian theology. It is not. And the second thing is, is that my family, sadly, as I talk about in the book, went out of its way not to stop abortion, but to put women back in their place. This Mm. was a misogynistic movement. I was part of it. And that's why I've spent the last six years writing an apology. And what I hope is the most pro-family, pro-child, pro-woman book out there. And I'll tell you something. You cannot be pro-family unless you are pro-choice. Yeah. Because if women are treated like nothing more than incubating vessels, second-class citizens, And this horrible burden that nature and evolution or God or whoever the creator was puts on women, if this is not balanced by the right to choose, we cannot have an equal society. Women cannot have careers. Women Mm -hmm. cannot have lives. And, and, and so I am so sorry for the part I played. I am so sorry on behalf of my father for the part we played. We were a misogyny team. We were not pro-life. We were a misogyny team. We were not pro-life. And it is evident. All the statistics tell you the same thing. And it's good that Schaefer comes out and says, I apologize. And because he was at the genesis of the movement, because he was a part of the movement, because he, along with his family, were the creators of this movement, having him out and showing this and explaining this and letting others see this, won't convince all, convince all, but it will convince some. It will convince some. Anyhow, folks, we are at the end of the show. I want to I salute. Uh, I didn't. I don't think I saluted. Uh, para ver, para ver, para ver. Um, Mende Juliano. I don't know if I saluted you or E two two four seven. E two two four seven. I think I left I left you off my tongue today. What happened, man? I see you putting some stuff in, in there. Race in the U.S., a free public course at the new school. Got to check it out. Uh, para ver quién más está aquí. Um, Peggy Lopez said something else that I wanted to read out. She said, uh, Peggy Lopez, own slaves were not treated medically. They were replaceable rather than pay for medical care. This may be why the GOP is opposed to paying for health care for the antiseptic slaves of today. Yeah, they're, they're, I, I, let, let me just say one thing. Um, it all depends, right, uh, Peggy? They, they, remember, they were property. So you do a cost a, a, a cost analysis, a cost ratio analysis, and say, okay, will it cost more to heal them or to simply dispose of them and get a new model or something, right? And, and they even turn some 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 splintation into breeder reactors. 
So, I mean, it's just amazing. It is just amazing. Everybody needs to read the 1619 Project. I, I haven't read it. My daughter's reading it and in a book club. And the things I'm learning from listening to what they're talking about without having read the book, it's simply amazing. It is simply amazing. But anyhow, folks, we got to get out of here. Uh, thank you for being here. Remember again, the all the, the all encompassing way to find uh, how to support politics and right. Please go to politicsandright.com/support. My name is Egberto Willies. This is Politics Done Right, and you guys know how I end this, baby. I am what out. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.